Hi, I'm Harriet Small. Welcome to Have You Got Five Minutes? PR comms and marketing podcast answering the things you'd normally have asked someone really quickly about at an event or while making a brew in the office. Hi, Harriet. How are you? Hello, I'm good. Well, so this week we're going to um, start off by saying what nobody told us about work life. So, Harriet, what did nobody tell you? So, nobody told me that not getting a job would be one of the greatest blessings. As an IC professional, I applied for a role um, in internal comms at a housing association. I didn't get the role because I never, ever heard back from them. They ghosted me, basically. But then it introduced me to a recruitment agency who I've done another massive piece of work with in the following year, which was great. But it also made me sort of really think about internal comms and the kind of person I wanted to be and, and what internal comms could offer me in terms of a career. And so I went away and I sort of thought, right if I didn't get that job if I was to go for that same job nine months time what would I need to learn what would I need to know and so I just really sat down and just planned things and learned things and actually I I ended up where I was and my contract got extended so I ended up doing a massive piece of work on a IT project and that piece of work got submitted into an awards thing for inspiring workplaces and actually funny enough two years later I've I'm now a judge for those awards so if I hadn't been rejected for that job I probably wouldn't have gone on to do that IT piece of work I probably wouldn't have gone on to do a lot of the other stuff that I've done in internal comms and I wouldn't have even probably submitted that award and yeah so nobody told me that being rejected for that job would probably help me figure out my internal comms career What's yours? So nobody told me that you can and probably should keep changing how you want to work. And I use the context of having children because I've got two and things really change from when they were babies to when they were toddlers. Just being okay with sort of saying, this isn't working for me at home now, I need to change. Or actually, I want to do a bit more work now. And actually, I want this from my job now. And I work with quite a lot of other women, manage other women, been mentored by other women. And I think that freedom and permission to say, actually I need to change things up now I think all people whether they've got kids or not it's just a really healthy way to view your career I think you just often think like that's it now I'm part-time and actually that might just not be right for you you have to come from a place of no judgment because what works for you you might have two children that sleep and they're brilliant you might have one that's got an educational need or has got a behavior problem or just is having a bit of a hard time and you need to adapt to that and I think almost like children were the reason I did that but actually I wish I'd have just done that for myself way before because I'd have gone hey do you know what this isn't right for me I'm going to change um so yeah I think we just need to check in with ourselves more around work no one told me that and I guess nobody told me as well is that I would make friends in the industry that I had I've never met and actually we would get along so well and I guess like even me and you we've never really met face to face but we're actually um, really really good friends and there's so many other people like that I think I always used to think like work self and home self would be totally separate and actually like work can be part of your identity and that's okay and um, the other thing like I was joking around before um, we went and started recording was like the other thing that no one told me was that um, work dynamics can be so much like high school so there's still like cliques in the industry there are still like bullies there are still the boys that we mean to you at meetings and then try and slide in your dms so like standing up for yourself and being okay with who you are and standing up for the people all the things you're told to do at school 
like you still have to do that in work which is kind of mad but yeah it's kind of not surprising I suppose so this episode we've crossed the pond and have gone stateside to talk all things fashion and we welcome award-winning journalist and fashion critic Stefan Rabimoff he is a content producer and author of Forbes.com Forbes France and the editor-at-large at Lea Fressel, Austria, among other titles. Stefan, welcome to the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. really appreciate it. You've worked in fashion for many years. How would a brand, especially a new fashion brand, or one that's going through a revival stand out post-COVID? It's a million-dollar question, isn't it? <laughs> Those that are able to capture attention are the ones that are truly hashtag winning today. And to capture attention at the time when we're kind of bombarded with so much information, informationally, we're pretty, pretty exhausted as people. I'm not even starting to, to say as journalists, as people. And then for journalists, I really think that's like times 100 because we have to always have our nose to the wind of information, picking up the best stories, the most interesting things that bubble up to the surface. And it's rare when I come across a brand that truly makes me want to stop in my tracks and read the email to the end and even uh, fathom a potential response to that email. Uh, Rare, rare. On average, I get about two to 300 emails per day and you can multiply that about, you know, five, six days a week. And I respond to maybe three or four on average. And I think it's because uh, people are lazy in the way they approach their communication with the press. They really don't do their due diligence. And what I mean by that is if somebody would just truly look through my universe of interests as a journalist through my universe of platforms where I write my voice, kind of the topics I'm interested in, it would be so easy to, to, to pitch me something where I would be like, oh yeah, like this totally makes sense for me. And I'm so thankful that you thought of me to cover this specific story. Instead, I get emails like, these are the most iconic socks you've ever seen. And I go to myself, one, what makes something iconic? Let's have a whole conversation about that. (laughs) Two, why do you think I would be interested in socks right about now? For brands to stand out during COVID time, I think they should apply the universal rules. Less is more. Get to the point faster. Make sure it's truly relevant to who you're addressing it to. And then ultimately, ask yourself, if this has been covered recently, then most likely nobody cares about it anymore. So spin it in a way that makes it sound new and unique and something that hasn't been covered and then people respond to it better. And with everyone talking about sustainability, how do brands, particularly lifestyle ones, cut through that noise and, you know, or authentically message about sustainability being beyond a trend? Yeah, I knew that was sustainability. I wish I could get a dollar every time I hear it. Um, (laughs) You know, just like the word iconic, I think it's overused in many ways. There's so many times where I would get a pitch and somebody says oh you know we are have designed this bag and it's sustainable and then I'm like okay I'm gonna take your word for it and but I'm gonna do my true journalist work I'm gonna do a deep dive and then it turns out 
that the only sustainable thing in that bag was like the handle. It's very easy for a PR person to call something sustainable just for pitching and for sending the information around. And then the lazy press, because I'm not going to just call the brands lazy. I think there's a lot of lazy journalists as well, that they would just pick something up and call that sustainable because they just take the word for it. And then it becomes kind of this snowball of lies that gets kind of pushed onto the consumer. And the consumer thinks, okay, well, if it ended up in Vogue, for example, that it must be the most sustainable, the most incredible brand. But like, what if it is sustainable by their work practices or labor laws in the country where it's made is, is disastrous. And we really have to be really careful about what we champion as journalists, as brands, as PR people, because it all ultimately has a cumulative effect. And in many ways, in terms of the sustainability industry, I think precisely that cumulative effect has not necessarily helped the sustainability industry. Fashion, and in particular fast fashion, contributes to 10% of carbon emissions by the latest figures. So how do we as communicators, as brands, as PRs, better communicate to our audiences what needs to change, but also what role do we have to play in lobbying governments to change laws and to, to bring in better policies to protect the planet and I don't know whether you've seen any good examples of this. We, we live in capitalist countries you know you're in UK and, and here I am in the United States and I don't want to preach that fast fashion business is bad business. I mean it has the right to exist, it has the right to thrive. Anybody who can make things faster and more efficient and still make it design forward by all means they should be capitalizing on that market they should they should exist moreover i remember myself when i was young and, and broke the only fashion i could afford is, was either secondhand fashion or fast fashion and i would mix the two and that would be my style so and i kind of disagree with a lot of argument that fast fashion should go away i think it has a role to play it has a, a place in a society but how these brands go about doing their fast fashion, I think that's really is the, uh, the heart of the issue. I remember interviewing the head of sustainability at H&M. And for me, I was like, oh, this is the woman that would know all the answers to my questions because she is the head of sustainability at H&M. You know, this is like kind of a, a, a between a rock and a hard place kind of role, you know. And I remember asking her questions like, tell me more about your sustainability programs at H&M, et cetera. And she, you know, spoke a lot about their programs. But at the end of the day, I remember asking her this question. I was like, well, since you learned so much from your work and from your research, why haven't you shared that with other companies, with other organizations, with other fast fashion brands. And I remember her answer very vividly. She goes, well, that's not in, in the business interest of ours. You know, it's our proprietary research. It's our proprietary work. Why, why should we? So um, I think governments have a huge role to play in this because they can force companies to share that kind of information and research. They can put together uh, committees and groups for best business practices and fast fashion. Hell, they can create rules uh, that would allow for proper you know, labor practices and business practices and what do you do with unsold product type of rules, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's many ways where governments can, could dictate 
how companies perform. And I think ultimately it's the power that we as consumers have because we do vote with, with our dollar. So if we choose not to support a certain company for their bad practices, I mean, I remember diamond company De Beers, when they got discovered to use blood diamonds, the world was in uproar, their sales dropped until they changed their policy. And that completely changed uh, how they approach their business from, from top to bottom. So I think uh, fast fashion can do the same. It just needs to be a bigger uproar from, from the consumers, as well as obviously pressures from the government. I suppose the lockdown, a lot of expectations have changed. People want this authenticity that they've perhaps not had before. Are we seeing a new type of influencer marketing in fashion? I would say yes. And part of it stems from the fact that when the whole influencer industry just began, there was a lot of tippy-toeing around what can be done, what can't be done, what is politically correct, what isn't, how do we co-brand, how do we advertise without advertising. I mean, the rules were designed as things came went along. Really, nobody knew what the hell they were doing. They were just doing it in hopes that they're doing it right. And then out of that experience, the best practices emerged, rules emerged, laws emerged, et cetera, et cetera. But because it started out sort of in a more careful, calculated approach, there was an element of truth that was never there. The element of authenticity was truly never there. People were never fully letting themselves go because they were showcased themselves to the world and they were afraid of how the world would react. In 2020, 2021, I I really do believe there are no more rules, really. You can be as much yourself as as you want to be and you can showcase to the world all of you entirety wherever your point of view is i guess the biggest concern for me is there is still a little bit of that collective criticism that exists on the internet where people might want to be authentic and truthful but there's a collective misunderstanding that could happen and the backlash that cancels that person And I think this cancel culture in many ways is stifling creativity. If you think about it, if you look through your Instagram feed or you look through all the fashion magazines, article feeds, everything looks alike. And the reason is because not not only because that stuff responds well with the audiences, that's a given, the data tells us so. But it's also because this is what's safe to do. I don't know. I I don't really think that's the future of fashion. I I really do believe it's the the underground, the smaller magazines, smaller brands, smaller Instagram accounts. This is where real, real change is happening, where the real truth exists. And, And what truly is influencing slowly, albeit, the rest of us. And right now, I feel like with everything that we're seeing on the internet, YouTube, Instagram, Clubhouse, what have you, there is still so much capacity to be more original and interesting and creative. Thanks for joining us. And everything we've mentioned will be in the show notes. We're here to answer the questions you need answers to and talk about the PR, communications and marketing topics you care about because we've got five minutes. You can DM us or contact 
myself, Harriet, at comsovercoffee.com and Rebecca at threadandfable.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please do rate, review and subscribe so others can find us. Find us on Twitter at Rebecca7Roberts and at Harriet Smallsey.